You are listening to the Campus Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. Each Wednesday on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, I welcome a new guest from Queen's University to discuss news, issues, upcoming events, initiatives, and services for the benefit of Queen's students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to Campus Beat. I'm Dinah Jansen. On September 7th, Queen's University announced four of its researchers had been elected to the Royal Society of Canada. And last week, we chatted with Drs. Karen Lawford of Gender Studies and Sari Van Anders of Psychology about their research and their election to the College of New Scholars, Scientists, and Artists. And today, we have the pleasure of welcoming, welcoming Professor Emeritus John Barry, who has received the honour of fellowship in the Royal Society of Canada. This fellowship consists of more than 2,400 peer-elected scientists, scholars, and artists, which and it recognizes well-established and field-leading researchers. Fellows are selected for their significant contributions to research in the arts and humanities, social sciences, or natural and health sciences, as well as their impact on Canadian public life. Dr. John Barry of the Department of Psychology is recognized this year as one of the founders of cross-cultural and intercultural psychology and has made substantial contributions in these fields. And through his development of an eco-cultural framework that conceptualizes the links among habitat, culture, and individual behavior, Dr. Barry has been able to further investigate cognitive style and multiculturalism with field studies spanning many regions across the world. And with us today to chat about his research and his fellowship in the Royal Society of Canada is Dr. John Barry. Welcome, John, to Campus Beat here on CFRC. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. So, John, tell us a little bit about yourself and your decades of research and teaching on cultural contexts and individual behavior in the Department of Psychology here at Queen's. Yes, the... Um origin of my interest lies, as in the case of many people, with some early experiences. Um, I was a member of the only English-speaking family in a fairly small French-speaking village in Quebec. And so from the very beginning, I was aware of cultural and language diff- and religious differences. Um, for example, I wasn't allowed to go to the local school because it was Catholic and I wasn't. Um, and had to travel great distance to uh, to get my schooling in adjacent villages. So when I started to uh, look for work, a career, I ended up as a merchant seaman for a number of years, traveling in various parts of the world, uh, including the uh, Canadian Arctic and coasting in Africa. Then um, someone told me that um, university was a fun thing to do, so I started to study psychology. Uh, And uh, one of the first things I noticed was that the formal discipline, the knowledge base, the theories and concepts simply didn't match my own experience. Hmm. Uh, What was missing essentially was an understanding of the importance of cultural context in the development and eventual display of of how uh, how we behave. So uh, following uh, an undergraduate degree, mainly at night while working in factories at Sir George Williams in Montreal, I went to Edinburgh to do a PhD. And after that, uh, emigrated to Australia for a few years uh, to work with Aboriginal peoples. So uh, that's a brief uh, background of why uh, I do the kind of work I do. 
Uh, I think the guiding principles are, um, first of all, it has to be fun or I don't do it. So there's a hedonistic element to uh, this field. And mm -hmm. secondly, it has to be useful or I don't do it. Um, I don't uh, do necessarily projects that are uh, applied in nature, but there has to be a potential application uh, or I'm not interested in doing it. So those are some of the background factors to, to what I do and why I do it. So what is it about the eco-cultural eco approach to individual and group behavior uh, in your body of work that really excites you most? Yeah, this is a perspective that um, is functionalist. That means that uh, people develop and engage in the behaviors that meet their uh, daily needs. And of course, in different uh, environmental systems, in different habitats, in different ecosystems, these uh, needs will vary depending on economic resources and uh, issues such as colonization and domination from outside. So it's functionalist in the sense that we expect people's behavior to differ across cultures as they adapt to their different circumstances. So people who may argue that we're all the same and that differences don't exist or don't matter uh, are not correct uh, because in only one sense are we all the same, that is psychological basic processes we share or else you and I couldn't be communicating between a male and a female. I couldn't be communicating with a person of a different language or a different culture. So cognitive processes as well as many other processes are species-wide, they're shared. So mm -hmm. in that sense, we're all the same. But at the uh, surface level of expression, culture shapes these basic processes into very, very different productions, different languages, different values, different personalities, different belief systems, and, and so on. Mm -hmm. So it's um, a double um, uh, level uh, idea. Underlying, we're all the same. At the surface level, we're all different. And in order to do psychology, we can only work with the upper level of difference and try to find out what may be in common underlying all of these. If we just use well, concepts from one uh, society or measures from one society, such as the uh, infamous IQ test, we're simply going to get it wrong. We have to take the cultural context and the influence of that context on development and expression into account. Okay. Well, it sounds like there are a lot of intersections with the research that you have done with other fields, perhaps other fields within the psychological discipline, but even uh, sociology, anthropology, cultural studies, heck, even, even ecology. Yeah, How does sure. your work interact? Yeah. Um, in, in a sense, uh, my field, subfield, is an outsider in psychology. Uh, much of psychology has evolved into uh, biological and mathematical orientations, hmm. uh, as well as uh, clinical ones. So, for example, in uh, the department here at Queen's, uh, I had only one colleague who vaguely shared my interests out of about 35 or 40 people. Um, and that's true, I think, generally. So the, 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 the field, the campaign to have culture recognized uh, and ecological uh, roots to human behavior recognized 
uh, required um, contacting people from around the world who shared these interests. And this led to the development of the field of cross-cultural psychology uh, and an organization that uh, uh, promotes it. We've, we're celebrating our 50th anniversary of this organization. So rather than finding uh, my support group within a department, which is true of most of us, we find it internationally, which of course corresponds with the uh, cross-cultural. Your observation that it links to other disciplines is right on. Um, many of us consider ourselves to be part anthropologists, sociologists, or involved in political and ecological studies. And so mm -hmm. our organizations are, in fact, interdisciplinary, although it's called cross-cultural psychology. It's rooted in these relationships with other disciplines. The other aspect that uh, you mentioned is that we adapt and develop behaviors not only uh, in particular contexts in which we have been born and grow, but we adapt to intercultural contexts. That is to say, uh, our societies are changing dramatically. And even after we have grown up and developed our behaviors in one society, we're now all confronted with having to adapt to other cultural systems through migration, uh, colonization historically, and so on. So mm -hmm. there is this field, parallel field called intercultural psychology that looks at how we do it a second time or a third time or a fourth time after we've had our initial or primary development. We have to do it all over again uh, as mm -hmm. we come into contact with people with other cultural uh, backgrounds. And this is, of course, particularly uh, central to how to manage a society uh, like Canada. All right. And and with that, I, I'd like to dig a little deeper, perhaps, on how your research has evolved over the, the five decades that you've been uh, doing this work. Um, are there uh, connections to your more recent work, to the work you did 50 years ago, uh, and today in the modern era of social media, where we have cross-cultural interaction across multiple social media platforms on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, what challenges does this present maybe to the research that you have done or, or what supports does it, has it offered to it as well? And with that too, have you encountered new theories or thinking that challenge the extant knowledge of your earlier works? What do you think? Yeah, um, the core principles that I mentioned at the very beginning have remained. That is to say, uh, we are uh, adapting to the context with it, within which we develop and then later encounter, encounter later in our lives. Um, mm -hmm. And the search for what is common to all human behavior uh, by studying what is variable uh, across groups. That okay. hasn't changed. But the focus of what has uh, uh, been in, in my particular work has changed uh, from the perceptual and cognitive abilities of indigenous peoples around the world. I started working with Inuit in uh, the Arctic, uh, with uh, groups of people in Sierra Leone, went to Australia to work with Aborigines in New Guinea, and have continued that right up to the present with uh, Adivasi or indigenous people in India. Uh, and uh, that has uh, continued, but it has also evolved increasingly to deal with issues of intergroup relations, multiculturalism, 
immigration, in other words, uh, doing it the second time. And uh, this is a project that started in the 70s with my one uh, um, colleague at Queen's, Rudy Kalin, um, doing um, uh, the first national survey of how people think and evaluate each other of different backgrounds in Canada. It was uh, sponsored by the new Ministry of Multiculturalism in the early 1970s, and uh, it was the basis of many subsequent studies and further analyses, uh, not only in Canada, but around the world. Um, you may have seen that uh, since retiring from Queen's, re taking early retirement 20 years ago, I've been at the uh, Higher School of Economics uh, in uh, the National Research University in Moscow, focusing mm -hmm. mainly on these issues in that incredibly diverse society, including some of its former uh, Soviet Union partners, particularly Estonia, where I've been helping them uh, think through how to, um, how to create a new society with a large portion of their population being of Russian origin, um, who were their former oppressors? How do you incorporate people who you don't particularly like into a, a new functioning, mutually respectful uh, society? So these mm -hmm. are the kinds of issues that uh, have evolved. Here's wow, fascinating. So can we learn a little bit more from you, John, uh, about what the day-to-day science actually looks like that you're conducting, whether you're in the field, you're talking to people uh, in person, or if you're working in a lab, when you're conducting the actual research, what does that look like for, not, for the benefit of non-specialists out there? Yeah, well, I don't work in a lab. I don't mm -hmm. work in a clinic. I don't do experiments. I'm probably the only psychologist who's never done an experiment. Interesting. Uh, my work is community-based, and okay. it's uh, rooted in the techniques of anthropology, uh, ethnography, uh, called fieldwork. And mm -hmm. um, it began, as I mentioned, with Indigenous peoples in northern Canada, mm -hmm. uh, some of whom I originally contacted as emergency seamen uh, on a, a research vessel in James and Hudson Bay, and then returned later as a psychologist to do work. So to give one example... Uh, in the early 1970s, we were working with Cree communities on James Bay in the Quebec side. Mm -hmm. And after that study was completed, uh, Bourassa announced that they were going to flood them out of their territories and villages to create the James Bay hydroelectric project. Mm -hmm. So we then went back and studied the impact in the communities of people who we had studied uh, earlier and contributed our evidence to the uh, injunction hearing. That was an attempt to stop uh, the project. Another example with Cree on the Ontario side is uh, we were asked by a school board in a particular community to help them define what the goals of their newly acquired independent curriculum might be like. What does it mean to be a competent, well-developed, functioning uh, Cree person? And how do we get there once we've defined these goals? So with an anthropologist colleague, again, I worked on uh, trying to define what would be uh, the components of a curriculum that leads uh, their uh, school boards to create a curriculum that would be uh, able to take young children 
through to uh, that uh, particular set of goals. So these are examples. Another, I've just mentioned the Adivasi studies, an uh, indigenous youth in the uh, state of Bihar in India. We've just published a book on the uh, ecology, culture, and abilities, uh, uh, Lessons for Adivasi Education. It was published last year by SAGE in India. Again, as an example of looking at um, what are the uh, psychological resources developed within communities adapted to their ecosystem, and how can mm -hmm. these be marshaled and coordinated uh, in order to improve their lives through programs such as education and community development. So the applied uh, outcome of some fundamental uh, questions related to, for example, human abilities and uh, attitudes. Hmm. Okay, so can we shift now over to the Royal Society of Canada and your election as a fellow? Uh, so tell us about the process and uh, how you learned about your election and what happens next. Yeah, that was very interesting. I haven't, over the years, paid much attention to uh, getting um, recognition or accolades. I've always done what I felt like doing. And if people paid attention, fine. If they didn't, well, I'd go do something else. So I, I never really thought of uh, the um, possibility of uh, fellowship. So what happens is that uh, you make your interest known, uh, which I did quite late in my career, um, and you ask people if they'd be willing to support you, uh, people who are already fellows. Then you assemble mm -hmm. um, uh, some documents, your curriculum vita, uh, your statement of interests and accomplishments, and that uh, goes forward. In this case, it was submitted by the principal on behalf of the university. And then um, an email saying uh, that you have or have not been elected, but not to say anything until September uh, when the formal announcement is made. And this year, there will be a, a week-long event in Montreal at McGill uh, to bring fellows together to talk about their work and to uh, engage in the induction ceremony. I don't know whether it's going to be in person or virtual, but it would be fun if it's in person uh, because Montreal is my hometown. Wonderful. Well, congratulations to you on your election to the as a fellow to the uh, Royal Society of Canada. Uh, major achievement for you in your uh, career of many, many achievements as well. Folks, we have been chatting with Dr. John Barry, Emeritus Professor in the Department of Psychology here at Queen's University, all about his illustrious career as well as his recent election. Thank you very much, John, for joining us here on Campus Feet. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Hello and welcome to Campus Beat. I'm Dinah Jansen. On September 1st, Queen's University announced 10 students that have been named as recipients of the prestigious Schulich Leader Scholarship, a scholarship that provides 80 to $100,000 scholarships to undergraduate students in STEM, that is science, technology, engineering, and math disciplines. 
Out of a pool of 350,000 potential candidates across Canada, 1,400 students were nominated, and this year 100 students received this celebrated award up from 50 in prior years. And all recipients were selected on the basis of their academic excellence, demonstrated leadership, and entrepreneurial-minded focus in extracurricular activities in their high schools and communities. And one Queen student, Haley Galsworthy, is a recipient of, of a $100,000 Schulich Leader Scholarship. A graduate of Waterdown District High School in Waterdown, Ontario, Galsworthy will be entering the Bachelor of Applied Science General Engineering program this fall, and she is here to chat about this scholarship. Welcome, Haley. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you so much. So, Haley, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you chose Queen's to study applied science. Yeah, so I am originally from Hamilton, a small town called Waterdown. Um, and when looking at schools, Queens always really stood out for me. Um, I've always really loved the lake and I've loved sailing and seeing all the sailboats. Um, so Kingston has always been like a number one choice for me. So receiving this scholarship really made it like an obvious choice to come to Queens. Um, just with all the opportunities that this scholarship offers, as well as the school itself, just a really prestigious uh, school. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your high school experience. Uh, these scholarships are based on academic excellence, uh, demonstrated leadership and an entrepreneurial minded focus. So tell us what you were doing in high school that uh, uh, really set you apart. So my high school was very club focused. So I gained a lot of my skills and my drive for entrepreneurship and engineering through the, these sorts of clubs. Uh, so I joined DECA, which is a business club, and then was also prime minister of student council and in a mental health club and a club that supports women in STEM. Uh, so being in all these different clubs all over a variety of topics of interest to me really allowed me to develop and grow as a leader and a person and a peer. Um, on top of having really supportive staff and peers and just a really supportive academic environment as well. It was just an amazing place for me to grow as a person, grow into um, the passionate academic that I am, as well as on top of being able to be involved in all these extracurriculars and become a more well-rounded person. Amazing. So tell us a little bit more about the scholarship and, and maybe how you found yourself to be nominated. Yeah, so I just saw it in like an announcement for our school um, that was like Schulich Leader Scholarships, one student um, that can be nominated. And I read up on the description. It was like uh, STEM minded, entrepreneurial minded, uh, just like a very uh, passionate person is like an ideal candidate. And it was just like, oh, like that might be me. Like I might as well try to get nominated, um, especially just knowing the how big this scholarship is, not only in the financial aspect, but in the networking and the prestigious aspect of it as well. Uh, so I honestly applied, like not even thinking that I would even be nominated just because my school is so competitive and is has so many bright, amazing students. Um, so it was even an honor to get nominated for the award. 
So Mustela as a winner, that was a huge shock. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, congratulations again to you. Now, you. Uh, what areas of study are you most interested in here at Queen's University? Yeah, so since it's a general first year, I'm going to try to put my feet in every different um, or dip my toes to say in every different sort of discipline, but I am really looking into mechanical and biomechanical in particular. Um, something that I've been passionate about over the past couple of years is innovate and is creating a better healthcare system and innovating the healthcare system with technology. Uh, so something in my life is a lot of my family members and my friends and even myself are at risk of autoimmune diseases, a big one being Crohn's disease. So my, my family members really struggle with the disease and I see how negatively it impacts them, especially in the aspect of the um, tracking process, so tracking the inflammation of the bowel and of the digestive system. So one of my passions is hopefully through biomechanics, I'll be able to learn more about that and be able to develop technologies that can more non-invasively monitor inflammation and make life so much easier for people struggling with various autoimmune diseases, including Crohn's disease. Amazing. Awesome. That sounds like a fantastic endeavor for you to, to take up. And now what about uh, maybe some extracurricular activities you might be interested in engaging in in the next four years? What do you think? Yeah, Queens has a huge range of extracurriculars and I've been researching them over the past week and I've been signing up for uh, various clubs, but I'm super excited to try and get involved in the Engineering Society. They have a really great student government um, and a really great community to help engineers at Queens feel like a really tight knit faculty. So I'm really excited to try and get involved with that, um, as well as just different sports like intramurals. And me and my friends are trying to join the badminton team. So we'll see. Mm -hmm. um, and then also just little things like best buddies. I There is a best buddies club at my high school, and I just love that. So I'd really love to get involved in the greater Kingston community as well in that sense. Fantastic. Now, overall, what do you think the impact of the scholarship will have for you on your studies over the next four years? Yeah, getting the Schulich scholarship will definitely have huge impacts on the next four years of my studies and the rest of my life. This scholarship really sets up a foundation for you to succeed. It sets you up for success. Uh, so with that financial stability, you have so many more doors open to you. Um, so even this year, I'm able to look at more extracurriculars because I don't have to worry about getting a part-time job or stressing about how I'm going to pay for different things. And I'll, I'm able to focus more on my studies and more on getting involved in the community. And then looking forward into the next four years and past, the scholarships give so much opportunity, opportunity for exchange, opportunity for post-grad degrees, so many opportunities that I might not have been able to look at beforehand just because of that financial difficulty mm -hmm. um, and then on top of that the whole scholarship network is huge you get connected with super innovative super bright-minded people from across the country um, and it's just amazing to be able to connect with people from like Dalhousie or UBC and see what they're up to and see what they are passionate from and that that high energy that high passion really strives yourself and helps you try to be even better 
helps you try to succeed even more in your own studies as well. Fantastic. And what are you most looking forward to during your time at Queen's overall? I'm just looking forward to making so many connections. Even in the past couple of days of me being here so far, I've made so many new friends and it is just so fun. The community is so fun and so upbeat and so high energy. And I'm just excited to have fun, have fun with my studies and be able to study what I enjoy. And we wish you the very best of, of luck on that endeavor too. Anything else to add before we close today, Haley? Um, I would just really, really like to thank from the bottom, bottom of my heart to the Schulich Foundation, as well as Queen's University for giving me this opportunity and for giving me this platform. Uh, I, I'm still in shock that it is even happening to me. It's like still in disbelief that I can call myself a Schulich leader. Um, and yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for believing in me and the other nine Schulich leaders. Uh, I can't wait for the next four years of my life in Kingston. Fantastic. Folks, uh, this has been a wonderful, energizing conversation with Ms. Haley Gallworthy, Gallsworthy, a recipient of $100, a $100,000 Schulich Leader Scholarship right here at Queen's University. Once again, congratulations and best wishes for the next four years here at Queen's. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.